All right, how we doing? That was pretty bad. How we doing? All right, good. It's uh, summer, and um, everybody get ready for 4th of July, and hopefully it won't storm or rain us out and be as crazy as it was this week. Wasn't this like the craziest week ever? Um, just insane as we look. I mean, it was, it was so weird. You're sitting there one, one second, and then all of a sudden it's hot and sunny, and then next second there's rain and hail, and uh, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I'm waiting for the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse to come, too, so it's kind of crazy. So um, if you're here again, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome. But I do want to go ahead, and we are starting a new series this week, uh, uh, about a four-week series or so, called Alter Image, and it's not mispronounced, um, technically. You will not believe how many times I put the correct spelling, um, but Alter Image. And in order to do so... Um, we're going to be looking at, our, at how we look at ourselves and how God wants us. Um, you can see, uh, alter image, who am I really supposed to be? And let's look at these two terms, alter. Now, we think of an altar in, in our uh, modern day, we think of an altar as a nice pretty thing where we go and we kneel and we get up, or if we're in a, in a long-time church, it's a place where they put, they have the little things for the little cups, you know, like the little shot glasses for communion, you know what I mean? Um, and um, we, we put them in there. Anybody ever done that? You know, the little things? You go, oh, that's cool. Um, so we, we have those things. Or we look at it as a, a place that, you know, somebody made and, and did. And like we have here, which is a great place. But hi- historically, an altar from the Old Testament is a place where you lay something down and for, to pay for a sin, to get rid of, in order that God may take it. Okay? And that's why we have altars in churches, to be that same symbol. So we're going to talk about laying down something um, in this process. The next thing, um, and laying down or sacrificing, the next thing is our image. And I could use the term ego, image, whatever you want to call it. But that is what we think of ourselves. We all have an image. Am I right? Now here's one of the interesting things. If you look around the room at you, if you look to the right and to the left, there is an image that that person next to you is portraying. There is a visual image, and if you know that person, there is an ideal image that they're trying to pose to you. And, and if you want to find out what that is, you ask the people who know them around them, um, but may not know them really well. You with me? The people who know them, like maybe here, and they can say, or they met them outside, and they say, oh, I know so-and-so, they, they're like this. And so we have that image. But mostly, one of the problems is, is the images that other people have of us The image that um, we have ourselves don't always equal, but more importantly, the image we have ourselves and the image others have of us and the image God wants for us are completely different things that I find time and time again. So we are going today deal with the concept of alter image inadequacy. Now we're going to do some other things. I think next week what we're going to talk about is our need to control. Do you have anybody who's controlling? It's probably a good freedom type week, right? Um, somebody, uh, some of us don't lay down control of our lives. And we'll have some other ones. And, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of different things. But I just wanted to share this. It is amazing. I've got to tell you, it is amazing in my life how many times I've been insecure and live insecure. Anybody with me? How many of you would consider yourself that if you really got down to it, there's some insecurity in your life? How many of you would say that? That you have some level of insecurity. It is interesting because when we, ha- when we deal with this uh, issue of insecurity, 
we're going to deal with what Romans kind of says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His pleasing and perfect will. Now, there is an ancient Greek story about a guy named Sisyphus. Anybody ever heard of him? And here's a picture of him right here. Well, it's a modern picture of him. Sisyphus did something bad, and his curse for life was that he rolled a made big boulder up a hill, and every time he got it up there, what happened? It rolled back down, and he had to what? Roll it back up. How many of you feel like life kind of gets that way sometimes? That when you seek to do something, you say, oh, I got this boulder, I got this, I rolled it up here, and you get it up there, and then it rolls back. And you go, oh, well, I'll make sure it's all plugged in and nice and you plug it up and you shove like little wedges in there and then all of a sudden you turn around and it rolls back down. And that, and so we're going to, there's a little bit of Sisyphus. I never thought I'd say that before. There's a little bit of sissy, Sisyphus in all of us, right? That we have this kind of insecurity or this um, inadequacy. Uh, it is amazing uh, how we feel inadequate. For instance, you may, all it takes is for you to leave your house and make a turn and go into a nicer neighborhood. Am I right? You walk in and you go, wow, did you see their house? And the next question you ask is what? wonder what they do. Am I right? Or you may know one of the people and you say, I wonder what that other person does. And then you start trying to figure it all out. Or you may continue on a little bit more. You may have a friend who, whose house you've left yours and everything's everywhere, and you go into their house, and it looks like it's from Better Homes and Gardens, and they have lots of kids, and you're wondering how in the world they do that, and you're like, gosh, they're a better, maybe they're a better housekeeper, or maybe they're a better mom or dad than I am. Or you can continue on. You may be a student, and one of the things that you have as a student, you have grade comparison. You know, you're you're looking at that. And so for some people, that's a drive. For other people, it's like, I'm just not as good. And they begin to tank and just say, forget about it. Or you may have a friend, and that friend is Mr. or Miss Popularity. Everybody loves them. They were the ones in school that had, like when it came time for homecoming or the prom, they had a list of people they could pick from. You know, it was like, it was like going to cars.com. They went to boyfriendsorgirlfriends.com and just, I'll take a, a redhead with, you know, this and that, right? They could pick anybody they wanted. And you end up going by yourself and standing in the corner. And you say, gosh, maybe they're better looking than I am. Maybe they're just nicer. Or, you, you know, anybody ever been there and done this kind of stuff? And it's amazing how often we do that um, in our lives. You know, we just don't feel like we can measure up at times. And there have been many times in my life where I felt, it felt inadequate. One of the main times was when we, um, with our oldest son, we had a high-risk pregnancy. Meanwhile, I'm going to be a dad to someone. That weirded me out. Any dads, did that weird you out at first? Like that first child and you realize somebody's going to call you dad? And you're like, really, me? And the thing is, people say, oh, you're going to be a great dad. But you know you and you know, I don't think so. So you like test the first one or two and then you thoroughly mess up the other ones and realize the lost cause, right? You know, but you, there's an inadequacy. And even today after five children, there are moments and times da daily that I say, I am not a good father. And I feel inadequate there. You turn on TV land and see Father's Knows Best and you're like, Psh, I'm done, you know? 
So why do we have these feelings? I could also say one of the most areas that I felt inadequate in my life is as a pastor. I love to talk. I love to preach. I like teaching. But you know what? There are times where I just don't feel when people come with these major, major situations. I think I've shared this with some of you before, but I remember one time when I was in Lewis, Delaware, there was a guy, um, late 50s, early 60s, great guy. I got along with him. He was kind of like the patriarch of the family. His, his son-in-law was a Delaware State Trooper that was killed by a drunk driver. So he stepped in for this young family, being the father role for uh, his daughter's children. And he was just a, a major personality. He used to wear straw hats and smoke a big cigar. And I used to go out to him every, when I'd see him doing that, and I'd say, I love it when a plan comes together. Han- remember Hannibal from the A-Team? And, and we'd joke and he'd laugh. And one time he went to dinner with his wife. He wasn't feeling well. He started having chest pains. They ended up taking him to the hospital. There was crazy thunderstorms, so they couldn't get the medevac to get him to Christiana. And on the way to taking him in the ambulance, I met them in Milford, where they had to stop by. I went into the hospital. I'm sitting there with a family, a family that depended on him for jobs and, and just a strength in that family. And I was sitting there when the doctor came out. And I knew when the doctor and the nurse were coming out, I'd been down this road enough. I know this is not good news. And he turned and he looked at his wife and said, I'm sorry, he's gone. And see, a family just destroyed. And you know how insignificant, how inadequate you feel at that moment? As a pastor, you don't know what to say. And you go and you spend time with them and you see every single emotion from joy at birth to sorrow at death and tragic happenings. I've lived through a lot of them. I've lived through some of them with you. And each of those times I feel more inadequate, but God does something uh, a lot more. And when people come to me and talk to me, I'm like, I don't have the skills, but somehow God makes a way. I'm sure many of you in your careers and in your life and in your families have felt the same way at times, am I right? And you may even feel that way as a Christian as well. So why do we feel inadequate? Well, I'm going to give you a couple quick things. Um, First thing is unfair criticism. This is one that we like to focus on a lot. Um, Probably because throughout our lives, we have people telling us, you won't measure up. You're never going to make it. You're not as good as so-and-so. They may say, uh, you're pathetic. You're more you may have this one, you're going to amount just like your father or like your mother. Or we deal with that and say, oh, don't look at me that way. I know what so-and-so that's no good is going to make you end up like that. Anybody ever hear any of that kind of stuff in your life? And that kind of attaches itself to the blueprint of the hard drive of our lives that when we start to do something, we feel we're no good. And it begins to play in our lives. And we say, I'm no good at all. Some people have even said, I've, I've counseled with people before where they've said, you know, my, one of my parents was very loving, but I had a mother or father who told me I wished I'd never been born. They wished I'd never been born. And that stuck with them for eternity. Or they would say, hey, you were a mistake in the first place. And that sticks on our psyche and our mind. The second thing is, and this is kind of the opposite, unrealistic praise or compliments. For instance... Have you everybody, ever had anybody come up to you and say, you are the best, you are the greatest, you are the most awesome, you are the most whatever? Anybody ever told you that? Guess what? Nobody has? 
Okay, well, you guys probably like the first one. But sometimes people tell you you're the best, you're the greatest, you're this, you're that, and it builds you up unfairly. Because what ends up happening, it's unrealistic, because what ends up happening, we have this part in us that we feel we can't do anything new because we may fail and then we'll be the worst. And so we build this kind of deal up. And inside, we know the inner workings and we tell ourselves, I'm not the best. I'm not that person. I, you know, we may say, I'm not the best Christian. I'm not the best pastor. I'm not the best this. I'm not the best that. And yet, this is pounded upon us and we, we end up with this, this extreme inadequacy because we know what's inside. We know what's inside here, and we know what's inside here. Like, have you ever had somebody that you've just done something nice because you felt you had to, and then somebody goes on and shares that you are the most wonderful, caring, loving person, you just love everybody, and really you may not like this person at all, but you did it because you felt compelled you had to? That's inadequacy right there, because you're like, well, I really don't love that person. You know what I mean? And we have these kind of areas in our lives. Um, You know, we end up, we're in a time that is really weird, where we tell kids that they're good at everything. You know that? Anybody with me here? Um, Back in the day, I'm going to get old here. Back in the day, you actually had to be good to win an award. I remember field day losing barely and being ticked off because I didn't get that ribbon. Now, everybody gets ribbons. Woo! And... Because everybody's good at everything. And we exist in this kind of nature that when failure eventually comes, because it does, doesn't it? When we've been told we're good, when we've been told we're... I'll give you an example. I'll call it the Tiger Woods syndrome. Everybody throws everybody in something. That Tiger Woods from the youngest age at three was playing golf and doing well, was on Merv Griffin, for the you old people. Um, And... And doing that, and then he became this, this worldwide phenomenon, and he had the perfect wife and the perfect life, and boy, did we find out different. And he crumbled because, guess what? For the first time publicly, he failed. But I guarantee you, each and every day of his life, he felt inadequate, even though he was told he was the best. He was the best. He was the best. And he struggled with that time and time and time again. Um, remember when graduation, you had to go through 12 years? of schooling. Now you have kindergarten graduation. You have fifth grade graduation. You have eighth grade graduation. Me, I just left and went home for the summer and came back and went to a different grade and a different school, right? But now we've got to celebrate everything. You know, they're, they're, and, and now, I mean, gosh, uh, we'll even get into this in a little bit, social media with other kinds of things in a second. Um, but, you know, when we, they may fee, you, we do that to make people feel good, but what we do, we build up a fear of failure in people majorly. Third thing, un, and this is where we're going to get into some of the social media, undue comparison. Undue comparison. Um, you know what I mean? You know, like, I've been really excited over the last year plus, working out, getting all this kind of stuff, until I see a couple of the guys who got me into it, and I'm like, holy cow, I got a long way to go. You know what I mean? They're like, I run into them at Walmart, like, I'm like, ah, you know, and that makes you feel a little insecure, 
Because you, you, you know, I, have to, I keep what my kids call fat jack picture on my refrigerator so that I can remember because I still say, ah, I'm far away from here and I feel inadequate. And then what that starts to do is say, ah, why bother? I work so hard. You know what I mean? You tend to do that kind of stuff in your life that you continue on. Can you on? We look at others and we say, I'm not as good. I, I, I'm not as good looking. I'm not as smart. Um, I'm not as, as uh, lo- wonderful. I'm not as loving as other people. It, we, or we in the church, we go, well, that person has, you know, more fruits of the Spirit. They're, they're more loving and more patient, more kind, more gentle, and more friendly. And I just don't have any of that. I, you know, I'm not a good Christian. Right? And we just kind of feel inadequate there. Um, Media. Uh, you know what, they, they, did a, they did a study and they found out that social media is one of the biggest causes of inadequacy and fear of failure in people's lives. You know why? You know, nobody ever puts on Facebook, I am a complete drag of society. Just thought I'd share that today. Now, nobody wants to say, hey, I failed miserably. What you will get about the closest is kind of like fishing for sympathy. You know what I mean here? Like, um, I guess tomorrow will be better. And then you get somebody like, what's wrong? N- nothing. Frown face. Right? This is how we exist now. And when we do these things, we, we have that. But nobody, everybody on there puts on awesome stuff. I never put on, I never ever put on where my body was so exhausted that I didn't get out of bed and run that day. I put on when I ran and had this accomplishment. You can see that right now if you'd like to. You know, I do that because I want people to, I feel good at that moment. I want people to celebrate. And maybe there's somebody at home saying, well, I'll never reach that because, you know, you see what I mean? This is a big deal that we pass around. And we can say things and hit and run, and it makes social media one of the biggest detriments in our own area. There's a neat guy, Stephen Furtick. Um, We were talking about him the other night. I remember I was trying to say, where is he? I had a quote from him this week. Um, And this is, I have this quote that he put in there uh, in, that I put in the bulletin at the bottom. The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. Is that an awesome statement? I can tell you, I have seen awesome pastors. I have seen guys, and I've met, and I've talked to them. One of the people I've had uh, kind of person to person on several different instances is a guy, probably the world's top apologist, um, uh, for defending the Christian faith, a guy named Lee Strobel. He stands about this high, and he's just an awesome guy. He's a writer, um, and I was a journalism undergrad, so I really like him, and we've talked several times. And when I see him, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's awesome. When I've been to areas and I've seen Rick Warren, or when I've seen other people, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're just awesome. They're just wonderful. And then I also know that th- they have had struggles, and they deal with it, and they have even more than I do today. And that comparison is horrible that we do to ourselves time in and time out. We always compare our behind the scenes, which we know what's going on, to the highlight reel of somebody else's life. You know, I've heard people say, if I was president, I want to tell you, I don't ever want to be president. Because immediately when you're elected, you tick off half of the country. Half of the country hates you, half of the world hates you, not many people who like you. And guess what? You make one bad thing or something that the people who like you don't like, guess what? They don't like you either. It's a thankless job. All of them are thankless jobs. But guess what? 
I would never do that. And you guys are all safe. Problem is, we see people that reach that area as perfect. We think that they were just plopped out on a cloud and placed in a position, ah, and that all of a sudden Saddleback Church formed, and the purpose-driven life just came and went this way. But we don't know that Rick Warren started a church with his wife and his children, and when he went, and his real estate agent, when he went and said, where do you go to church? The person said, I don't. He said, great, come to Saddleback. You're our first member. And that's how Saddleback started, all right? We also don't realize the tragedy he's gone through for years with his son with mental illness that ultimately um, resulted in his take, uh, committing suicide. You think Rick Warren feels inadequate that he could he can minister to the world but not to his own son and have him healed? I guarantee you that rips him apart. So when we look at this, what do we find? We find several things. Our image or ego tells us what we are not, but God wants to tell us what we are. And today, uh, Linda read that for us. I'm going to ask if you have your, uh, your Bibles out. Um, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16 and 36 through 40. And this is uh, really, and we're going to just share some things that we find out from here. And I want to start just by reading a little bit of this again. I love when Linda reads, don't you? I feel like I'm there. Linda, you're awesome. I love it. So I sat down and I was like, I love when she reads. I could just listen. To yeah, I, I just need you during my devotion time to read to me, you know. Um, it would be awesome. But the angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak of Oprah. She's been around an awful long time. Um, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep from the Midianites. Stop. Here we go. We have this situation here. We have Gideon. Many of you know the name Gideon. They throw Bible, green Bibles at you. You, you open up a, a um, hotel room. They're in there. This is who it comes from. Gideon was doing a couple different things. One of the things that he was doing was he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, anybody ever know how you thresh wheat? Nobody threshes wheat? You're not planning on threshing wheat today? Okay. Yeah, we just go buy bread. That's how we do it. But in the old days, when you separate it, you'd have wheat and chaff. Wheat is the good stuff. Chaff is the bad stuff. How do you get it separated? Well, you do this. The chaff is very light. So you take a fork, a pitchfork, you scoop it up, toss it in the air. The chaff blows away. The wheat falls. You gather up the wheat, take it, you make good bread. Got it? You learned something today, right? Okay. So that's what he's doing. So in order to do that, it was often done on a mountaintop in a wide open area so that you could have lots of breeze. So that when you threw it up, you would have that. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, a wine press is a big stone area that has kind of a stone wheel on it. You would, it had a hole in it where you could collect the juice. And you would put the grapes in. You'd roll the stone around. As you rolled the stone around, it would squish out the dra- grapes. The juice would come, go down. It would collect it in a bucket. And then you'd, ha- then you'd make your wine. It was often done because it took for a long time under cover of the tree of Oprah. Right? Remember you saw that? Oprah's tree? Whatever it was. Um, you guys are just focusing on Oprah Winfrey, I know. Um, and it was done in the shade. Guess what? Not a great place to go ahead and thresh wheat. But he was doing it. Why? Because he wanted to hide from the Midianites, who were people who were at enemies with Israel. So here's what we have. Um, so he was threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you. What does it say? 
mighty warrior. Now, I find this humorous. What is he doing? He's threshing wheat where? Underneath Oprah in a wine press because he was hiding from who? The Midianites. But the angel of God greets him and calls him what? Mighty warrior. Those two images do not fit with me. He's hiding and the angel calls him a mighty warrior. The first thing that we're going to see here is that God's view of you is different than your view of yourself. It's the first thing I want to share with you. God's view of you is different than you think of yourself. Calls Gideon a mighty warrior. There have been so many times in my life where I've been called on to be in an area, in an avenue, to be a, a pastor, to be a father, to be a husband, to be something, and I have immediately felt like hiding. You know, like, there's just days you just want to pull the cover up over your head. There's times when you go to sleep and you're so worried you, and just feel insecure and you just feel like life is helpless, that you, you've wasted your life, that you just hope that when you go to sleep you don't wake up. Anybody ever had that point in your life? And then the morning comes and you wake up and you go, darn it, or something else, right? And you get up and you go about the day, but still that is upon your life. And Gideon was like that at this point. Gideon is here, and the state is mighty warrior. We need to learn that God's view of us is different. Let me look at this a little bit more. God sees something greater in you than you see in yourself. Look at what the scripture says that's underneath there from Ephesians. For we are God's what? We are God's what? Masterpiece. Anybody ever heard Masterpiece Theta? You know, it's got to be good because it has an English accent, am I right? Anything with an English accent is good. Masterpiece. You, look at the person next to you in your best English accent and go, you are God's masterpiece, right? Doesn't that make you feel good that someone called you a masterpiece? That God has created you and shaped you and you are not junk, you are wonderful. The problem occurs is that when we view ourselves not as God's masterpiece. For instance, let me give you a couple people in the Bible. There was a lady named Rahab. Anybody know her occupation? Prostitute. She was a prostitute. But guess what? People saw her as a prostitute. She helped save, uh, reveal some things of Israel and save the spies. But guess what? She is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God saw, people saw a prostitute. God saw a woman after his own heart who would be in the lineage of his own son. That's a big difference in God's view and our view. There's others that we have here. David. Others saw him as a shepherd boy. I find it awesome that when Samuel came to anoint them, he anointed all the sons, and Samuel said, you got any more? And he's like, yeah, well, there's David out in the field. He was an afterthought. That'd be like me saying, ah, there's Judah somewhere. I don't know where. Where are your kids? I got four here. Who cares about the fifth one? You know, that's exactly what he did. And they bring him in, and Samuel's like, that's him. And they're like, are you crazy? And But guess what? What did God see in him? God saw a mighty warrior, one that would slay Goliath and lead Israelites through battle and battle and and create them probably one of the strongest points, if not the strongest point in their history. Others saw David as an adulterer, but God saw him afterwards as a man who had a repentant heart and was ready to have his life changed and to come to the Lord. When we look at Simon Peter, others see somebody who has hoof and mouth disease. Always open mouth, insert foot. Always doing something uh, just off the cuff and radical. 
but, and always messing up. But God saw him as a rock that he would build his church upon. And the speaker, that would be the first one who would speak after the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. And that would lead his church. You, when people look at you, what do they see? They may see you as a failure. You may even look at yourself as a failure. Somebody who hasn't accomplished what you did. You've wasted 20, 30, 40 years of your life. You're just doing the grind. You're tired of this treadmill. Remember I talked about the cage treadmill the other week? You're living that way. Or other people, you may feel good and somebody may come and tell you you're something you're not. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You feel that way, but God sees more in you than you ever could ever, ever see. God sees more in you. And that's what brings us to number two. First one is, God's view of you is different than you think of yourself. You are God's masterpiece. Number two, God has given you more than you think. God has given you more than you think. When I look at this, look at what Gideon says. After, God, after the angel calls him mighty warrior, look at the response. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon says. I find that really funny. Uh, pardon me. Um, can I get a word in here? But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the, not Lord, did the Lord not bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Stop. God has given you more than you had. So much of my life at times sounds like the first part of that verse in a prayer list. You know what I mean? God... I read about you in the Bible. I hear how you raised people from the dead. I hear how you made a way happen. I hear how you led the Israelites all the way through the desert. And I've been praying to you, but why are you not doing anything now? Anybody had those prayers? Why are you not doing anything now? And then you get into it and you say, you know, if you are here as you say you are, where are you? And listen to the response from the angel or or from the Lord. It's this. The angel says, go take a class so you'll be ready to be a strong Christian. No, it says go read a book so that you'll know. Nope. It says go study under somebody who's much smarter. No. What does it say? Go in the what? The strength that what? The strength that you have. If you are waiting and waiting, I have had so many people in my life say, I'm I'm just waiting for God to do this. You're going to keep on waiting in life. Because sometimes, sometimes in life, God wants to take the mess that you are so that other people can see how awesome he is. And so God wants to take the strength you have. Some people here, all you have ever heard your whole life, all you've ever heard from your family, from your friends, all you've ever heard in relationships has been negative. You're not this, you're not that, you're not this, you're not going to be. And that's all you hear. And you've conditioned yourself to say, I'm not anything else. I'm my failures. If anybody ever told you, you know, you're not going to be a good math student. Anybody, let me ask this question. How many of you are good writers? How many of you consider yourself a good writers? How many are not good writers? Why? Why, Tammy? 
Why? Who's not a good writer? Now nobody's going to raise their hand. I ain't raising my hand. Are you a good writer, Tom? Yeah, you are? Okay. Anybody else not a good writer? Why not? You repeat yourself? Okay. I guarantee those of you who did not raise your hand as a good writer, somebody along the line gave you a paperback and said you weren't a good writer. And that's stuck in your head and you just said, I'm not a good writer. How many of you right now would like me to stop? Wait, I'm finishing. I got more of that sentence. Like me to stop and you come up and speak right now. How many of you would speak right now if I called on you? Nobody's raising their hand. Um, one or two. There we go. One or two. And, and so we have that. How many would not want to at all? How many think you're a bad public speaker? Why? Have you tried it? Do you like it? You know, there are times in my life where well, I, I, like, I like speaking. I always like being here. I, mean, I think part of that is my mom bringing me up when I was a little kid singing, I'll be a cowboy, a Christian cowboy when I was a little kid. Yes, and I did wear the cowboy hat and the guns. Um, so, no guns? I got a gun afterwards. I got a gun to get it, though. Yeah, I got, a, I got bribed by a gun to get it. So I know everybody's going to have a fit now. Guns, woo, toy gun for kids. Um, I turned out okay, all right? Um, so, but in, I would say some of, you know, one of the things any, any of my students hate, I always put like a oral presentation, right, Tommy? I always do a class oral presentation. And you would not believe the people that flip out when I give an oral presentation. Don't worry, I don't do that for philosophy. Um, but um, I do that in most of my classes. And people just go, <gasps> right? And I tell everybody, if you learn to write well and speak well, you can fool a lot of people in life. And the problem is that many people, and Randy, you can say this as a teacher for many years, the people that succeed are the ones that you find something that they're good at and you encourage them and don't point out the negativity in their lives. When you, we constantly, I do that with my kids all the time. I point out what they do wrong rather than what they do right. And you know what I'm doing? I'm building up insecure children and insecure adults. That's what we do in our lives. And it's sad. Look at what... Um, we're not our failures. Many of you have no idea what is inside you because you haven't got God's view of you. Listen again to what is said here in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us what? What? Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory to His goodness. You know what that means? That says you don't have to go to seminary to live a godly life. What that says is, you just, God has given you everything you need just by knowing Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's telling us there. Don't you dare believe you are somebody that somebody else told you you are. Don't believe that. Because there is somebody in your life who has told you, I don't care if you're the happiest, go luckiest person in life, somebody has told you or planted a seed in your life that you are of have little value in. And you don't even go there. It may be that you used to love to sing when you were a kid, and somebody said, you can't sing, and you just don't even bother. Now, you may not be up leading praise and worship, but the scripture says make a joyful noise. And if you're sitting next to somebody, make a good noise, make a move, right? Use what God has given to you. You know, there have been several people in life... Uh, Steve Jobs was a college dropout. Um, I could go on and on. 
And he's changed the world because he had a focus. He, had, he was adopted and had uh, parents that loved him and encouraged him and even let him do his own kind of wacky thing that he wanted to do out here. But he was a guy that saw the bigger picture of what happened in life. Who are you to be? God sees more. You may be home every day with um, 25 kids, and you may be saying, my life is not amounting anywhere, but let me tell you, there are so many people that say, I would rather be up and be a corporate executive and be in front of everybody and be somebody in the world. And you may be sitting at home dealing with kids time and time ago and say, I've had enough of this. Calgon, take me away. But I'm going to tell you, you have more significance in your life by giving your life to raising those children who are going to be six adults. If you let them know that God loves them and who they, he thinks they are, you're going to change the world that way. I think far too often we've looked at ourselves and forgotten about the next generation and then we raise a generation that, ex- that expects everything handed to them, that expects that they should never fail. Failure is a good thing. I always hated when I coached in the little divisions. They said, we don't keep score. I said, heck, we don't. They need to learn whether they lose. Not everybody wins in life. You can learn more about failure and losing in life than you can by any victory you ever have. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox there, okay? Next thing, number three. So we have God's view of you is different. Um, God's given you more than you are. And here we go, number three. It is less about you than you think. It is less about you than you think. In verse 15, uh, it, it continued on, uh, pardon me, and he says, the Lord answers, I will be with you and I will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alone. What does God say in verse 16? I will be with you. I will be with you. It's not about you. Guess what? Yes, you're insecure. Yes, you fail. Yes, you're no good. Guess what? God is. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. The angel says the Lord will be with you. Isn't that how this whole thing started? If we go all the way back to the top of your page, when the angel appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. When God is with us, we're not hiding cowards. When God is with us, we are all mighty warriors. And that's the, uh, when, you, when you look in the mirror the next time, I want you to say, God is with me, mighty warrior. Can you do that? That's your homework, Okay. And I've installed little cameras while you've been in church. No. Um, but I want you to do that because I think that we need to be able to tell ourselves it's not about us, it's about God. And it's about how He relates in, in our lives and works in and through us. Um, let me see. Okay, it's less about us than we think. What we need to do here is we need to lay our image on the altar. Because our image needs to be laid down in order to die so that we get the image that Christ has for us. Let's, God's blessings in the Old Testament came after the altar was burned up. And so uh, the offering was burned up. So I've shared, I shared before how inadequate that I feel at times as a pastor. You know, when I, I understood the United Methodist system because I grew up in it. And I understood it. And I knew how all the things that went. And then all of a sudden... God laid on my heart to start this church. I remember um, going out to a conference at Saddleback, and it was a church plant conference. I didn't know that's what it was about. And I ended up, because, you know, I, I kind of do my own thing, in case you know. And I didn't like the schedule, because I'd been there the day before in this one section. I thought it was kind of boring. So I went to this other thing that I wasn't supposed to be at, but I went anyway. 
And when I went there, there was four pastors around the United States from, talking about how, how to, to launch a church. Now, keep in mind, I was a pastor in a long-time church. And I came back, and there was like this excitement thing going in me. But then I also saw, there ain't no way. There's no way. There's no, God, no, no way, God. You know, I'd like to do it, but, you know, I got family. I got, you know, we come up with those as excuses. Have you ever heard anybody say this to you? You know, I'm thinking about doing this. If somebody's thinking about doing something, they're never going to do it. You need to move from the thinking about to the I've made plans too. Because we spend years thinking. And by then we say, oh, that's well behind us. So, um, but what ends up happening is then we start and I just, there's, there's times where I just feel so insecure and so incapable of leading this to a next direction. I'm like, you know, I had the plan laid out and if I ever see Ron Silva and those other guys, I'm going to tell them what you taught got me through about the first month just to let you know. And then after that, I've been going with God and prayers and holding on to the car, you know, going down the fast lane. And there's, every day I wake up and I go, what, how is this going to happen? And God brings somebody in to bring that role. And God brings this person in. And God gives me the grace that is needed and the strength for that. You see, we need... I, the reason why I feel so inadequate is if we go back to Steve Furtick's quote, I know the behind the scenes. So you guys just get to see the, the show right here. You get to see what's out in front. And you have an image and perception of me. But I know the dark catacombs of this mind and this heart. You know what I mean? And, and, and there are things I don't like. And guess what? I found out that even the super pastors have those same dark catacombs and same parts in life. And that's okay. Let's look what Philippians 4 says here. Philippians 4 tells us, I I skipped something. When God calls you to do something, it is less about you and it's more about God. When God calls you to do something, it's less about you and more about God. Look at what Philippians 4 says. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in situation, in every situation. Don't you guys want to know this? Here's the secret of living in situation, whether it's full stomach or empty, plenty or little. Here it is. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I quote that, but there are times in my life where I, I feel that even God's strength isn't adequate enough for what I need. But Paul says, I found the secret, and it's this secret. Get your stuff and get you out of the way and let God do what he needs to do. Isn't that what he did with Gideon? Gideon wasn't fighting anybody. And God even plays with Gideon even more. He gets people together, and then he gets a whole group, and Gideon's like, oh, we got all these people, let's go, let's go. And they start walking down and getting ready to fight, and God says, separate the ones who are drinking this way from the ones who are drinking like this way. Gets rid of a lot of them. He narrows it down to a small group of people. It's like if we were going to go fight, and I narrowed it down to about 10 or 15 people, and he says, go. And then he says, take these jars, that's why there's a little jar in the Gideon Bible, break them, and you'll freak out the Midianites, and they'll start killing each other. And then you can kill the rest of them. And that's what God did. God was saying, you think you're the least. I'm going to show you how little you have to be before I bring great victory in your life. And I believe that for somebody or someone's here today, that's what God wants you to hear. Because number four is this. It is okay to test for clarity um, or for uh, understanding, but not for deflection or stalling. There are some of you who are in here that God has told you to do something, that God has enriched you with something. God has said, this is a calling on your life, and you have made every excuse and every test not to do it. 
You've held on to everything that is comfortable and you refuse to let go in order to let God do something. I will tell you, if you hold on to something that is super comfortable and hold on to that as your security, God will never be able to make a mighty warrior for him out of you. Well, you've got to let go. It would have been so much easier if the United Methodist Church would have paid me a salary and taken care of everything and then I could go start a church on the same side. God said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how it's happening. And yes, I had a group that promised something. Guess what? I found out after I'd already left, that's not how it worked out. And you know what? I was like, ah, you know that song, Free Fallen? That's what I felt like. You know what I mean? But God was faithful and caught me and is continually doing that day in and day out. If I had held on to what I thought was secure, I would have never have seen the grace of God. A, fr- a pastor friend of mine that says, you know, your hope is not in whatever church. Your hope is in Jesus. Your strength is in Jesus. So what I want to tell you in this, as it says here in the scripture, Gideon said, if you, if you will save Israel by my hand, I have a test for you. I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew on, only on the fleece and the ground is dry, then I'll know that you save Israel. Guess what? God does it. Guess what he does? One more thing here, God, please. Let's do it the reverse way. Let's make it, uh, let's make it the other way. Let's make it dry and then wet. Let's make the, the fleece dry and the ground wet. And guess what? God does it again. And it says, and that last version 40 said, that night God did what? So, that night God did it. If you think you are not good enough, step into God's grace. If you think you're not strong enough, step into his strength because in, his, in my weakness, his strength is made, um, he is made strong. If you're not smart enough, step into his power and let him influence your life. If you're not as pretty or handsome, um, step into your calling that God has called you because it's not about beauty, it's about who God is. You remember that week, the other uh, week I had that guy who, uh, who had no arms and legs, uh, Vujovic, had him on there. He was told from way young that he was going to be nothing, and he does everything and, and married a model wife. Isn't that, isn't that cool? I'm like, that is like the cherry on top of the Sunday, God. You go. And he has known every day of his life since he gave his life to Christ and got over feeling of suicide and everything else that God had a purpose for him, and he is reaching more and more people because he began not seeing himself as somebody who was, who was nothing, but saw himself as somebody God could use and reach many people, and he has gone all over the world in doing so. That power is within you, because God has a purpose for your life. Step into what God calls you to do, because my dad always told me this, those whom God calls, he equips. But God can never equip you if you're not answering the call. You have a call Everybody here has a call to be God's masterpiece. And God created you wonderfully and for a purpose in his life. Don't look at the image that you've received by your behavior. Don't look at the image you received by what somebody told you. Don't deal with people telling you something else. Because if you are a child of the king, then that makes you a prince and a princess. And if that's who you are, start living like it. Start living like royalty, spiritual royalty in life. And stop accepting the lies from this world. Because it's only through Christ that we truly have our true self-image. Amen? All right, praise team's going to come forward today and, um, and lead us in a song.
uh, worship, I'd like you to please stand. The altar's open for you to pray. If you want to lay down inadequacy or something else in your life, please go ahead and do that. Just lay it down on the altar, and we will pray that God moves in your life in a tremendous and awesome way. Bow with me for a prayer. Lord God, we thank you for everyone here today. We know it's been a crazy week. We know that um, there's several of our, our, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters here that are traveling with vacation. We ask for traveling mercies upon them. I ask for uh, prayers to be upon the, uh, everything today. See, God's answering us right now. Um, I ask for prayers to be upon the gathering today at the McCuskers um, for the wedding that I have to do outside today. God, make a way there. Um, But ultimately, Lord, where we feel insignificant and insecure, we know that you love us and you, uh, you have a plan for our lives. There are people that are sitting here today that just don't have a purpose to life, have been depressed and down. But God, you want to call them uh, to do something awesome in life. And so God, just be with them here today. I pray anybody who hasn't accepted you as Lord and Savior, somebody may, who may have messed up, have done that one point in life and just feels like I'm, I'm losing, I'm falling apart, that they may reach out to you and be reestablished. In your name we pray. Amen.